0: This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello, and welcome to My Tale to Tell, bringing you life stories from the varied and diverse people who live in Canterbury, New Zealand. All of these stories are read by those who wrote them as part of a Writing Your Memoir workshop, and they have kindly agreed to share them with you. For privacy reasons, some of the names have been changed. Some language may offend, and some content may shock you. But no life is ordinary. We all have a tale to tell.
1: My name is Sandra, and this is my tale to tell. A family holiday. We were on a family holiday when our daughter was 13. Destination Queenstown. We were almost there when we stopped for a break at the AJ Hackett Bungee Centre at the Coldale Bridge. We got out of the car, went over to the side of the road and had a look. That was a mistake. Our daughter was mesmerised. We got back into the car and continued on. And then it started. I want to jump. Another few kilometres and I really want to jump. And so it went on all the way into Queenstown. It didn't let up over the evening and when we got up next morning it started again. I want to do that jump. In the end there was only one thing for it. We got into the car, drove back up to the bungee centre opened our wallets, paid for the jump and photos, signed her life away, pointed to the platform and said, now go, jump and then shut up. As I positioned myself to take photos, my doubts began. Was this a good idea? What if the bungee cord breaks? What if she's too scared to jump and loses her confidence? She's only 13. She, on the other hand, was wedged between two groups of university students who were summoning up their courage to jump. She chatted away to them, telling them that she too was a student, omitting to say that she was not a university student but only in her first year of secondary school. When her turn came, she jumped straight off the platform without any hesitation. We drove back to Queenstown, armed with the photos and video. We were relieved and she was buzzing. She kept her side of the bargain and did indeed shut up. Fast forward 13 years. Our daughter was married by this time to a fellow thrill seeker and my nephew and niece were with us on holiday. The six of us decided we would go to Hanmer Springs for a few days. As we passed over the historic Ferry Bridge across the Waiau Gorge, we pointed out the bungee platform to our visitors. After an evening meal in Hanma, we got out the board games and decided to play a game of Risk. That was a mistake. Risk is a dog-eat-dog, survival-of-the-fittest, winner-takes-all type of game. The board shows a map of the world and players try to gain and keep territory. It's a game of strategy. The strategy is that the stronger players gang up on the weaker ones forcing them out of the game. Those left in the game then turn on their erstwhile allies and do the same to them. The objective is world domination. It's a game designed to bring out the competitive worst in players. It was not surprising then that sometime during the evening someone dared someone else to do a bungee jump and before long everyone was daring everyone else to jump and no one was going to back down. So next morning, it was off to the bungee platform for us all. There it was wallets opened, jump and photos paid for, lives signed away and off up to the platform wondering, how did this happen? I volunteered to jump first. I figured it would be better to be down at the bottom having jumped and looking up at the others rather than the other way round. I moved to the edge of the platform, looked at the horizon Pretended I was just diving into a pool, then shuffled across the platform until my feet were halfway over the edge. I leaned forward. After that, there was nothing left to do. Gravity took over. Though I do recall the river rushing up to meet me and thinking, it would be really good if the bungee cord went tight about now. The other five did their jumps. We collected our photos and drove back to Hanmer with honest satisfied all round. I took the precaution of packing the game of risk away before it could do any more damage. I think that's the last episode in the family bungee jumping holiday saga. I must admit, though, a three-generation jump has some attraction. My name is Sandra, and this is my tale to tell. Dear grandkids, do you remember that time, it was a few years ago now, when you went to Queensland on holiday? Grandpa and I came over separately. You were staying at Redcliffe, on the top floor of an apartment block by the sea. We came to your place for tea, and we sat outside on the deck in the evening. I pointed down to the beach and said... Don't you just love this? Did you know that I used to come here for all my holidays when I was little? We didn't go to different places every holiday like you do. Do you remember what you said? It was, didn't you get bored coming to the same place all the time? And I said, but it was the best place in the world for a holiday. You probably wondered why I thought that, because it was rather an ordinary beach I think I'd better tell you a bit more about my holidays. They were very different from yours and the ones we took your mum on when she was little. My sister and I used to have our holidays with my grandpa. We called him Papa, but all the grown-ups called him the boss and he was always the boss in his house. I know you're wondering where my grandma was. Well, I never knew her because she died when my father that's your great-grandpa, was 15. After that, my papa stayed home to look after the kids. He had to be the father and the mother then. He lived in a street about 50 metres from the beach. His house was up on stilts. Most houses in Queensland were like that in those days. He had a little veranda out the front that caught sea breeze in the afternoon. He had two deck chairs on his veranda He sat in one, and when we were staying with him, one of us would sit in the other. He would talk to us about what life was like in the old days. Like his story about Mr. Arcee Clark. He would giggle when he said Arcee. Mr. Clark was in the pub, and his horse and cart were tied up to the hitching rail outside. Some boys unhitched the cart and put the horse on one side of the rail and the cart on the other. Then they hitched the cart back up again and hid, waiting to see what happened when Mr Clark came out of the pub and tried to drive the cart away. When he said this, Papa would giggle again. I used to wonder whether he was one of those boys. I remember he told me once about my grandma's family. Her mother was a Thompson, he said. She was married to a Sorensen, but he died, and then she married a Mortenson. He was your grandmother's father. They were Danes, you know. And another time. Now listen to me. Your grandmother was a schoolteacher. So was her sister, old Dora next door. We used to go and see Auntie Dora every second day to have our hair brushed and plaited. She lived with her sister, Auntie Agnes. Well, they were our great aunts, really, but we called them both Auntie. Auntie Agnes never married. She once said this was because the men she liked never liked her and the men who liked her she never liked. She had been a dressmaker. She was tall and thin and rather stern. We were a bit scared of her. Auntie Dora was lovely though. She had married Papa's brother Mark but they never had children. She took a special interest in us and was always kind. Each time we went... Papa would say to us, Now don't eat any rubbish while you're over there. You've got to eat your lunch when you get back. Of course, each time we went, Auntie Dora would have the coffee table set up with an embroidered cloth and matching serviettes, milk in a milk jug, sugar in a sugar bowl and cups with sauces too and little plates. Then she and Auntie Agnes would go into their kitchen and bring out the tea, in a teapot that matched the milk jug and sugar bowl, freshly baked cake and biscuits. And we would sit there, like grown-ups, drinking tea, saying, thank you, yes, I will have some, when we were offered cake and biscuits and having grown-up conversations with them. Sometimes Papa would stick his head out of one of the windows of his house and yell, don't you feed them any gut or they won't eat their lunch. Papa's lunches were amazing, meat and tomato sandwiches made with very fresh bread, followed by pawpaw, mangoes, bananas or grapes, all from his garden. He was a great cook. Each morning we had a cooked breakfast of bacon and eggs and toast, which we had with his homemade jam or honey. For dinner we had meat and vegetables, all beautifully cooked, followed by rice pudding and canned peaches. His rice pudding was divine. I've found a recipe that's very like it, and I'll cook it for you some day. He didn't have a fridge, just a little ice chest to keep things cool. The Iceman would come round every couple of days with fresh ice. This meant that Papa went shopping for groceries every other day. Going uptown was the way he put it. He had a leather case for his shopping. It was like those doctor's bags you see on the TV shows – he said it was his port. Papa never had a car. I don't even know if he could drive. Instead he walked everywhere. So every other day he would drop us off at the beach at the bottom of the street while he went uptown. It took him a while as the top shops were about two kilometres from the beach. Do you remember those shops? They were close to your apartment block. We went across to them with you to pick up some vegetables to cook for our dinner. I must say, they're a bit different now to what they were like in Papa's time. So while he was shopping, we would play at the beach. We'd swim in the waves and lie in the sand and let those little waves you saw wash over us. We'd build sandcastles with our buckets and spades and sometimes bury each other in sand up to our necks. All those rocky outcrops you saw meant that there were lots of little rock pools to explore There were so many living things in them, shellfish, crabs and once we even found a tiny octopus living amongst the seaweed. When Papa had finished his shopping, he would walk back to the beach where he had left us, then sit down for a while while we kept playing. When it was time for lunch, he would call out to us, we would gather up our towels, buckets and spades and then walk with him back to his house. Sometimes I wish that we lived by the sea, like my papa, and that you could all come and have a holiday like that with us. But things are different now, so we'll stick to our towny holidays where you come up here and then we go to all the exciting places in Christchurch like the library, the Margaret Mahey playground, the museum and Arana Park. See you soon. Lots of love, Grandma.
2: My name is Jean, and this is my tale to tell. The Unexpected Guest July 1958 Dear Auntie Hilda, I thought you'd like to hear about the goings-on at Anne Howard's wedding. As you know, Dad's half-sister has distanced herself from her parents, so they organised their own wedding with the help of Uncle Bob, Dad's younger brother. It goes without saying that the ceremony was in the local Catholic Church, which they have joined, again with Uncle Bob and Auntie Mary's encouragement. So it was a long service. Anne looked lovely with her long curly hair loose around her shoulders, and Howard looked smart in a hired suit. There were two bridesmaids, Anne's friend Daphne, and another we didn't know. Her father, my granddad, had finally agreed to attend and gave her away, and all five of the half brothers were there with their families. So, just a normal wedding, as you would expect, with everyone dressed in their best clothes the men in suits and ties, and the women in flattering floral dresses and jackets. It was at the reception in a local hall that things started to unravel. Uncle John, Dad's older brother and recently widowed, had brought not only his children, Terry and Linda, but also his lady friend, Olive. The interval between Auntie Peggy's passing and the introduction of a new partner was deemed to be too short by most of those present. My own mother's response was typical. The pursed lips and rather audible tutting. Another black mark against her in-laws. The meal and speeches passed calmly before we were encouraged to join in some parlour games and dancing. You wouldn't believe what happened next. Olive was dressed rather differently from the others, wearing a tight skirt and black stockings, among other things. One of the games was for teams to obtain various articles in response to questions asked, the winner being the first to collect everything on the list. Suddenly, Olive whipped up her short skirt, undid her suspenders and took off her stocking and waved it in the air for all to see. As you can imagine, the silence was deafening. Who was this woman who could behave in such a way in front of virtual strangers? I don't imagine Uncle John will be bringing her to future family gatherings. The rest of the evening passed without drama, and Anne and Howard went away for a couple of days' honeymoon. The affronted guests, meantime, tried to compose themselves, so that the farewells were completed with the necessary decorum. Anyway, that's enough of our family dramas. How are things with you and your family? We are all looking forward to hearing from you. Love, Jean. My name is Jean, and this is my tale to tell. Mood memories, written with a frown. A house I lived in, 14 Huntsbury Avenue, Christchurch, New Zealand. We bought our second marital home across the other side of town, in an unfamiliar area, perched on the side of a hill. The driveway was too steep for my little Austin 1100. The section was enormous and poorly landscaped, and the garage was a small shack away from the house. Inside, the pink floral carpet was soiled with holes in it. Two of the rooms were damp, this was December, and only net curtains covered the extensive windows. When we moved in, we discovered that only superficial cleaning had been done by the owner's granddaughter, who had lived there for a while after the old man's death. She was later described to us as too lazy to get out of her own way. The oven was too dirty to use and the kitchen cupboards with their dark brown doors in cream frames were lined with 25-year-old newspaper. This was stuck to the frames as they had been painted without lifting the paper. In the first two years, we made some changes, making curtains for the bedrooms, tidying up the section and generally making it into a home, although it was rather shabby. Then it was suggested that we could extend our mortgage and make some extensions. The alternative was to move again, but the location was good and the children were settled at the local school. For the next 16 years we lived in a building site. As finances permitted, a whole section was built on, the roof replaced and the old wood-burning fire removed Chimney and all. But cracked lino, bare boards, and rooms with no skirting boards or wallpaper or paint were impossible to keep clean. Finally, I called a halt. I said that I was moving out with or without the family. Fortunately, everyone agreed that enough was enough, and after a difficult time selling the place, we moved to the other side of the hill into a new townhouse. But our troubles were not over.
0: To tell is produced by me, Stephanie Fruin, and engineered by Peter Rattray at Plains FM Christchurch. The theme tune was composed by Louise Ayling and performed by Louise Ayling, Peter Royal and Stephanie Fruin. If you'd like to take part in My Tale to Tell, contact mytale tellnz at gmail.com. No life is ordinary. We all have a tale to tell. Memories of our